community, you received the email I sent out yesterday that one of our students, um, Seth Engen, and his younger brother passed away in a tragic farming accident um, earlier yesterday. And for all of you who will be around in the coming days this weekend, I'll be sending out an email um, today or tomorrow. We'll list an opportunity for anybody who would like to attend. We'll coordinate vans and rides um, from here. There'll be a funeral for Seth's brother on Saturday morning, the Vibor Community Center. That's the tentative plans right now, but I'll confirm that with an email for you. And so please remember the entire Engen family um, and our brother Seth in a very, very difficult time. I talked to his mom right before this service started and, and re- told her too and assured her that we would as a community be praying for them. So please join me in doing that. And um, all these things in our world that constantly take place that scare us and remind us again why we gather, why we, why we look to where we look. Even walking in here this morning, finding out that public high school in Harrisburg, not far from here, is under lockdown in this moment for a shooting that took place there this morning. The principal was shot. It was a flesh wound. He was not killed. The shooter has been detained. But a reminder again, within our own community, um, not far from here, so many different ways that again, we just stand in need of a Savior. And so we gather, and we turn to words of truth, and we gather as a community, and we pray. Will you do that with me now? Father, we are reminded all too often of the incredible and overwhelming effects of sin and death that are all around us. We grieve alongside our brother Seth this morning for the loss of his brother yesterday. Father, teach us how to be good friends in a loving community to Seth and to others around us right now who struggle, who, who grieve. Um, Father, we know that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but Father, we do grieve. And as I was reminded again this morning, it's not okay. And you said it's not okay. And this is why you came, to take all of these things from us. Father, for a community this morning in panic, too, in and around Harrisburg, we ask for a rich measure of your presence, and that through all of these things, you would teach us how to look to you, how to come running into your arms, how to find find our home there, find our safety there, find our identity there, and find your love that will cast out our fears, that in the end will make all things new. But as we wait for that, Lord, be near to to us for these struggles and for so many more. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hockey season, which means three things in our house. Number one, the weather's about to get cold. Number two, my Saturdays are about to get really hectic with three little boys playing this year. Um, and number three, uh, an inordinate amount of my sermon illustrations over the coming months are going to have to do with things that take place on a hockey rink. <laughs> number one. Last week, I was out with my five-year-old son and I was teaching him how to skate, along with all the other little kids this age. It was the second time ever on the ice. And I noticed the one thing that I said to him more than any other throughout an entire experience, as I skated backwards and had him chase after me with his little stumbling footsteps, 
was eyes up here. Don't look down. Look at me. Look at me. Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Keep, don't look down. And getting him to fix his gaze so he wouldn't look down and get it lost up in what he was doing. His feet were made to walk and they were made to run and they were made to dance and they were made to skate. And if he'll just trust that and keep his eyes ahead, he can figure this out. It all gets worse when we turn down and look at ourselves. I've had a number of instances this week, too, visiting with some of you as students who are hurting, and I feel like the conversation is the same. Eyes up. Focus. Don't look down. Don't get lost in yourself in this moment. Be reminded of a much bigger story at play. We were reminded as a community in such a real way again yesterday with Seth's family's loss of the same thing. These moments that can so consume us and we're called within our faith. Look here. Let me show you where to go in the storm. There will be another day. I am not done with all of this yet. This semester we've been walking through these mighty deeds stories in the Gospel of Mark and we've seen three categories of how Jesus exercises demons and, and demonstrates control over the spiritual realm. How he heals and restores physical ailments. And now this third category, we're going to encounter the first miracle within it this week, and that is the story of Jesus calming the storm and enacting an authority over the natural world as well. Of course, right before this now, because the first words we're going to see in this passage says, that day when evening came. So against the backdrop, the writer wants us to know that there's other things that have been taking place that day. And that day, Jesus has had five successive stories teaching them um, about the kingdom of God and what it is like. And the theme that runs through all of them is that the kingdom is not going to come in the ways that you expect it. The kingdom of God comes in surprising ways. In fact, the last story right before we enter into this one is Jesus telling his disciples, like a mustard seed, in tiny little things, in imperceptible things, And in the places where you are not expecting, the kingdom of God is going to reveal itself. We're just going to leave the text up in front and we're going to do sort of a walk-through approach this morning and just sort of dwell in these words for a little while. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. I love how the writer here has these words just the way that he does. Jesus starts off the movement. Let us go over. Jesus wakes up every day with us in the morning. Let us go into this day together. Let us go into this movement. Let us go and do this with your college career. Let us. And there's this invitation for us to walk with Jesus in life. Let us do this. He wants our presence and he wants our companionship and he wants our friendship and he wants it to be a partnership together. Let us do this. But notice what happens by the time the sentence ends in verse 36 or this part of the story. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Jesus says, let's us go do this. And isn't it just the way that we would always respond and they took him along? How long did it take you and me after we woke up this morning to start fretting about our own day, to start looking down and getting consumed with ourselves, losing perspective on the fact that it was Jesus who was saying, let us go into this day together. 
Let us do this. In fact, I'm going to orchestrate the movements and I'm inviting you to come along. But we lose perspective so quickly and we think that we are the ones. We look down and we get consumed within ourselves and we stop looking ahead and we stop looking beyond ourselves. And we really do believe that we are taking Jesus along on our journey. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Here's this word we've encountered this numerous times, this 40-plus term, 40-plus occurrence term in Mark's gospel, aklos, crowd. The best things that Jesus is going to do don't typically happen in front of large crowds. The deepest ways that he will often reveal himself to you are not going to come in a big, giant setting or on a stage with a whole lot of people watching. So often, God takes us to the secret place and to the quiet place and does his deepest and biggest work within us there. So pulling the disciples aside, and in a time just with them, he says, let's go over to the other side, and they leave the crowd behind, which usually is an indicator in Mark's gospel that something significant is about to happen. They took him along, just as he was in the boat. And Jesus comes along just as he was, because Jesus travels pretty light, just as he was. Not with a whole lot with him. Who knows where they're even going, Jesus is always in full dependence on the Father, the Son of Man who had no place to lay his head. Jesus is light and nimble on his feet in ministry. Jesus gives us an example in life that we are so much more capable of following the movements of our God when we are not strapped down to the things of this earth. And so Jesus goes along just as he was, as he always does. And there were other boats with him, a furious squall came up. So they're on the Sea of Galilee, which is 700 feet below sea level. Mount Hermon is to the west at 9,200 feet, and this lake that they are on is 7 miles by 13 miles. Given the geographical pocket that they are in, storms brew up very, very quickly, and particularly in the evening in this location. So they couldn't have predicted what was going to happen, which is exactly what happens in all of our storms of life. That's what makes them so hard to endure. You don't see them coming. You can't predict it. Nobody ever predicts the worst day of their life or the most horrible things that happen to us. The squall comes out of nowhere. Elsewhere, this word is translated hurricane. This is a fierce storm. It's the kind of one that changes you in such a way. It's a day embedded in your memory that you don't forget. I could take turns with every single one of you in this room and ask you memories or stories of days that you don't forget that left an indelible imprint on you of something significant that happened or a hurt that you felt. And the question Mark wants the reader to be asking themselves here is, what is it that I'm going to do? What will I take with me from this storm? A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. This isn't just a light storm, right? Okay, typical fishing boats at this point in time on the Sea of Galilee are about 25 feet long. There's four different places for people to oar. And so you've got to imagine there's all the disciples plus Jesus, maybe a couple others even in the boat, a minimum of 13 people in a little 25-foot boat, four people on the oars. I'm guessing several other of them at this point in time are bailing to take water out. It's getting pretty panicky. Water is actually breaking over the boat. And now in the next line, we learn that Jesus is actually asleep in the stern on a cushion. So waves are actually probably breaking over the side, and Jesus is getting wet, most likely, in this situation. 
I don't know if you have a roommate who is a very deep sleeper. Um, Jesus is a very deep sleeper. Not only that, he seems to be exhausted from the day that he has had. He seems to be a very deep sleeper, and he doesn't seem to be too bothered by what's taking place. And I think this is one of the most important lessons in this passage for the storms in our life, is that Jesus sometimes is perfectly comfortable with you being uncomfortable. In fact, Jesus orchestrated this movement and started it. Jesus took them into a storm. Sometimes Jesus will take you into a storm. Because Jesus' purpose for your life and your purpose for a life are often at odds. God's great purpose for your life is not that it would be easy, but that it would be His. And sometimes storms do this for us. Have you ever been a more fervent prayer than when something horrible is going on in your life? God uses these things and stretches us through them. And he orchestrates this moment in life in order to bring about something more significant than the storm itself. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So this is hitting point critical right now. This boat is possibly going to go down. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And now keep in mind, judging by the disciples' reaction, by the time this passage is about to end, I don't think they woke Jesus up with the intent of him calming the storm. They didn't believe that that was even possible. Nobody controls the weather. Only God has ever done that in history. They were probably waking Jesus up to, if, for him to help scream with them or panic with them or bail water with them. Because when you and I enter in a storm or difficult situation in life, we have exactly in mind what we want God to do for us. And that's one of the great lessons of difficulty in life that comes in this passage is Jesus does not respond in the way that we want him to respond. His lordship in our life has to be bigger than our own imagination or you wouldn't need a God. If you could solve your problems so perfectly on your own, then why even invite Jesus in the boat with you in the first place? Jesus' solution to this absolutely blows their mind. They weren't expecting it. And I wonder, too, if our perceptions of what this looks like are a little bit off. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Keep in mind, Jesus is a deep sleeper. We've already learned that in the text. Most people who sleep really deeply don't wake up like, Oh, right? They wake up very slowly. There's sort of this groggy thing to it. I think we often downplay Jesus' humanity within these stories. If you've ever seen paintings depicting this text, it looks something like, like Jack and Kate in the front of the boat in the Titanic, right? <laughs> Over, and then and we imagine Jesus with some sort of James Earl Jones voice, just speaking so calmly over this, hair flowing in the wind like a Fabio romance novel cover. That's what the paintings look like. But is that really what happened? A more accurate translation of quiet here would literally be closer to our English version of shut up. Jesus seems bothered, but is it because his sleep is disturbed? Maybe he just woke up groggy. Maybe there wasn't some big shining moment, right, standing on the bow of the boat, leaning forward in this Titanic-esque experience. Maybe it was just quiet, oh, be still, sleeping here. Or, I don't know, 
But why I think this is so important and why we're spending time even playing with this idea is Mark wants to show us throughout his entire gospel that how it is that you imagine Jesus will determine so much of your discipleship. Every new experience that shapes the disciples' Christology is always followed by a lesson of discipleship. How you see Jesus and what he looks like in your mind's eye and what you are imagining him to do in the middle of the storm says so much about your discipleship and your walk with him. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? God, I got a lot going on right now, and there's a ton happening. And, you know, if you would just sort of pay attention to this, like, don't you even care? How many times have we not felt in the worst of the things that were going on, like God doesn't even see what's taking place? Jesus is perfectly comfortable with your uncomfortability. And what's missing in this situation isn't Jesus' ability to be awake through it. What's missing in these situations is our understanding. What's missing in this text is the disciples' understanding. And so Jesus calms the storm, and then it dies down. And here comes the discipleship moment. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark makes a point of showing us in the text that the disciples' response when Jesus calms the storm has them even more afraid than they were in the middle of the storm. It is one thing to be afraid about the environment around you. It's another thing to be afraid when you realize who Jesus actually is. Because this is what demands an absolute response from the disciples in a new and a different way. And they are terrified. You would think they would have been relieved. Thank you, Jesus. The storm is all gone. Everything's wonderful now. But instead, they realize who it is that is in this boat, who it is that is walking beside them, who it is that said, let us go and do this. That's the question that keeps coming up. Jesus casts out the demons. Who is this? Jesus goes and heals people. Who is this? Jesus says, paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. And the teachers of the law want to know, who is this? Who is this guy? Where does he get off saying these things? Who is this? And this is the question Mark wants every reader to be able to ask themselves in this, at the end of this story. Who is this Jesus to you? Who, do you? who are you looking to? What does he look like in your mind and in your heart? Who is this for you? How we see him will completely determine our discipleship and what it looks like. The kingdom of God comes to us in such surprising ways. In mustard seeds. In storms, in a death that only comes into a resurrection. Hard things are happening. Those with eyes of faith will open their eyes wider in these situations and wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Jesus is about to do something incredible. In every moment of panic, the world with nowhere else to place their hope absolutely freaks out. Jesus is waiting for the disciples and those who will follow him to see every difficulty that ever comes as an opportunity for God to be glorified, for his name to go forward, for more to come to him, for more of your life to be given over to him, for more surrender in our discipleship, for a greater realization of who this really is that is walking with us. 
So I challenge you to answer that question for yourself this morning. For you. Who is this? Will you pray with me? Father, you challenge us in so many ways. And so often the difficult situations in our life seem to indicate to us that you aren't there or that you don't care or maybe that you don't even exist. Father, give us eyes of faith to see that even in the storms of our life you are here. That it's not okay. That you are going to make this right but that you are growing us even in the hardest things you're asking us to walk through. That you still control the wind and the waves. You still control everything for you are sovereign. Father, this morning we are asking that what you look like in our mind's eye would grow. Grow our faith. Help us to understand as we ask the question for ourselves and learn in new ways who you really are and who you are to us. In the name of the one who calms the seas and the skies and all our fears, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.